Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers Program. The bees are about a half inch long, with the drones slightly larger. Schaefer keeps Italian honeybees he receives by mail, known for their good nature and willingness to work with humans. They seemed very relaxed. If I looked closely, maybe I would see them holding tiny glasses of Chianti. This program features the work of 2012 writer Kathleen Alcala. Curator Sean Wong spoke with her in an interview. I decided to do a whole book about food on Bainbridge Island. It's around the premise of what, if we had to live only on the food that grew here, could we sustain its population of 23,000 people? And what would we have to do to feed ourselves? So it turns out to be a sort of nutshell of sustainability, how we relate to the land and each other, and how we would turn that into growing food on Bainbridge. So that's the big risk in this book, right? is for you to say <laughs> what it is your neighbors should be doing. Exactly. <laughs> and this could get very touchy. <laughs> and and for, for someone who's written several fiction books, you know, you throw your book out and there's no real picture of the typical reader. Right. Right. But this book, it's actually your neighbors. Right. And you have to still live there. <laughs> and you still have to live there. And you are not a farmer, right. a restaurant owner, a cook, uh, you know. Right. Well, I invented a special persona for this, the clueless eater. <laughs> and that's me. And I think it pretty accurately describes me because I'm one of these people who I think I know things. But when it comes down to, to things like food, I really didn't know that much. So that was why I felt comfortable going out and asking people stupid questions. Um, and when they saw that I was serious, they were happy to answer them. So I interviewed, I'd say, two dozen people in the course of working on this book on um, Notes from a Food Oasis, asking them the small questions and the big questions. And some people get really nervous if you ask them the big questions. They just want to deal with the small questions. The excerpt I will probably read is an interview with a beekeeper, and I got to go over to his place and, and handle the bees, take them out of the hives and stuff like that. But when I said, well, do you think that we could support ourselves with food growing here? Oh, I wouldn't know anything about that. I wouldn't, couldn't begin to answer any questions like that. So we didn't talk about that sort of thing. He showed me his bees. Now we'll hear a selection from Kathleen's live reading. This is an excerpt from The Clueless Eater, Notes from a Food Oasis, an exploration of sustainability on Bainbridge Island. Our friends, the bees. Most Saturdays, you can find Chuck Schaefer at the Bainbridge Island Farmer's Market. Chuck is an evangelist, a zealot who wants to convert you to what he discovered about life. He doesn't sell anything or even offer samples. He just brings his equipment and talks about the wonders of apiary. Just like me three years ago, he says, people are astonished to learn about bees. Yet Schaefer was surprisingly shy when it came to showing me his bees. I had to use all of my persuasive powers to get him to invite me over. 
The Schaefers live high on a sunny hill at the south end of Bainbridge Island. I followed him there one day after the market, after helping load a centrifuge, trays from a hive with a bit of honey stuck to them, samples of pollen, and other large, heavy equipment onto the back of his truck. We entered a former greenhouse, overrun with beekeeping equipment. He extracted two sets of beekeepers' white overalls and helped me get into a suit meant for someone over six feet tall. A sort of space helmet fit over my head with a face veil that covered my neck and zipped onto the suit. The gloves were too big, but I'd brought a set of cotton garden gloves. Schaefer piled some dry pine needles on a table in the backyard and set them on fire. Some people prefer untreated burlap, he said, but any natural tinder will work. When a tiny blaze was going, he transferred it to a bit of moss and placed it in the smoker, a small box of the bellows on the back. Then he worked the bellows until puffs of aromatic smoke came out. Some people sing to them, he said, instead of using smoke. Only then did we walk around to the front of the house, now the domain of his bees, with its spectacular view of Puget Sound. If I move too fast, he said, they get alarmed. But as long as I move at a slow, even pace, they are fine. I tried to remember that as I walked through the cloud of bees. Slow, even pace. Each hive is like a Chinese puzzle box made of pine. The box contains framed screens, much like window screens, that can be lifted out individually to be examined, cleaned, or harvested. People have been keeping bees forever, Schaefer said, but there's still a lot we don't know. When I made this appointment, I wasn't sure how macho we were going to be in approaching the bees, so I wore long pants and brought my own garden gloves and a long-sleeved white shirt. It turned out that Schaefer is quite conservative when it comes to handling the bees. He always wears a beekeeper suit and gloves, although he has switched from the unwieldy gloves that look left over from early NASA designs to blue stretchy gloves that offer more dexterity. He tried working without gloves once, but when a bee crawled across his hand, he automatically slapped it and got stung. There are guys who work in t-shirts and shorts, he said. They get stung. My garden gloves worked fine, but as I lifted and set aside the sections of a hive at Schaefer's direction, the cotton kept sticking to the substance bees use to glue things together. It's called propolis. I kept removing my gloves anyway to take pictures with my cell phone. Schaefer directed me away from an area where I had been standing because I was blocking their path in and out of the hives. Each hive contains 70,000 to 100,000 bees. I realize that they have regular flyways, things to do. Schaefer pointed to the built-up center of the frame I was holding. The bees always start at the center, working outward in an oval. It looks like they are randomly crawling around, but I realized that each bee has its own subroutine that fits into the overall program of the hive, which is to hatch, grow, feed, and protect as many bees as possible. Each hive is a computer about the size of my very first desktop, maybe a little bigger. The bees are about a half inch long with the drones slightly larger. Schaefer keeps Italian honeybees he receives by mail, known for their good nature and willingness to work with humans. They seemed very relaxed. 
If I looked closely, maybe I would see them holding tiny glasses of Chianti. <laughs> and this was the best part, maybe the coolest thing that happened while researching this book. As I held the frames, crawling with bees, and turned them over to look at both sides, I realized that the bees knew a perfect stranger was handling them, and they allowed me to do it. It's like the Borg on Star Trek. If I am not interfering with the program, I am of no consequence. Schaefer had me pull out each section and set the frame gently on edge as we paged through the hive like a book. The newer frames were on the ends and were maintained by younger bees. These bees were a little shinier, moved a little faster. You could almost hear the drum and bass when you pulled out those frames. Schaefer was looking for the queen to show me when we came across an odd lump of wax on the end of a frame. With a putty knife, he scraped it off and held it in the palm of his glove. Just then, a large bee began to break out of it. Look at that, a new queen. That, it looked like the rear end of a bee. Any bee, how could he tell? But as she emerged, we could see that the queen was slightly longer than the worker bees, but slender. That's what a virgin queen looks like. Once she starts to produce eggs, her abdomen will become wider. Uh-huh. <laughs> Schaefer was very pleased. I've never seen that happen before, just because you came over to look at the bees. He explained that beekeepers try to mark the queens with a dot from a sharpie, but the queen always moves too fast for him. He's afraid he'll squash her. Meanwhile, the new queen walked around on the blue expanse of his glove, touching antenna with two or three other bees that had ridden along on the bit of comb, telling them she was in charge. They're accepting her, he said. She dropped down to the hive below and began her reign. Soon, she would fly away with the drones in pursuit and mate. Then she would start a new hive, probably on my neighbor's property, Schaefer said, and he'll be pissed. <laughs> Schaefer can then capture the queen and set her up in a new box hive, of which there are three right now. The rest of her subjects will obediently follow. Bainbridge experienced a bee diet back along with the rest of the country in recent years, and beekeepers speculate on whether it was mites, a fungus, or some other factor that caused the bees from entire hives to disappear. Now, scientists are examining a pesticide that makes the bees lose their sense of direction. As a rule, beekeepers send off for a fresh batch each spring, rather than trying to protect their earlier hives. Sometimes enough bees make it through the winter to maintain a healthy hive. Bees travel no more than two or three miles from their hives to collect pollen. And Schaefer says there appear to be enough on the island for the pollination of our fruits and vegetables. The only reason people move hives on Bainbridge is to get a particular flavor of honey. Although there are fruit trees and other choices on Bainbridge, it's all blackberries, said Schaefer, and then not even native meaning the bees prefer the Himalayan blackberries that will inherit the Bainbridge Island earth along with English ivy and scotch broom, all invasive species crowding out the low growth. Plenty of insects besides bees participate in the pollination game. Wasps, hummingbirds, 
even small mammals that moved through the tall weeds, collecting and shedding pollen on the way. I didn't realize until now that honeybees are old world, brought to the Americas by Europeans and called the white man's flies by Native Americans. Corn pollinates by wind, and there are other types of bees than honeybees that pollinate. They just don't make honey. But the plants that interest humans mostly depend on honeybees, and humans have failed to invent a machine as efficient as a bee. When I started keeping bees, I thought my yard would be full of them, but if you look at this lavender, he said, pointing to a nearby bush, it's about ten bumblebees to every honeybee. Schaefer had deliberately added plants that bees are supposed to prefer, but they go where they will. He pointed downhill to a garden enclosed by a deer fence. They told me to plant California bluebells for the bees, but the deer eat them, so now that big patch in the middle of my vegetables is for bees. Out of season, the bluebells form an unattractive gray-green clump in the middle of his edible greens. The bees are mesmerizing like Philip Glass music, repetition and variation too complex to comprehend, yet perfectly understandable, and I realized how people can get hooked on beekeeping. I've always enjoyed the bees that visit my own lavender. They are among the first signs of spring in our area, coming out to visit the early blossoms as they develop along the stems. I checked on a sunny day to see how many were honeybees and how many were bumblebees, and decided it was about 40-60. There are probably more choices for the bees in the neighborhood around Schaefer's house, where there are large yards full of flowers and old orchards. There's more pavement where I live, but still a lot of blackberries in season. When I described my visit to the next-door neighbor, he was ready to go in on a couple of hives with me. Only some of their squash was pollinated last year, leading to gourds that began to develop, then stop and shrivel. But I know that way lies danger of me constantly checking on the bees, fussing over them, wondering if the queen was comfortable and well-fed as she cranked out eggs deep in the hive. Bees do not sleep at night, I learned. Rather, they perform indoor work, like constructing new cells, only stopping for the occasional catnap in their six to eight week lives. What's more, they sometimes go out in search of pollen, on bright, moonlit nights. Schaefer was worried about the new queen. She emerged late in the season, and the bees might be reluctant to swarm and start a new hive. They would need to produce enough honey to carry them through the winter. Fall is when they get cranky, he said, because that's when they're more protective of their honey. Bees are part of our gift economy, the food environment in which we live. We do not compensate them for the honey or the countless plants they pollinate other than to provide hives in which they can build their combs. While commercial honey is available in grocery stores, there is no true value that can be placed on honey from a hive. What would we give them? There are plenty of natural nesting sites on the island, although other people might try to destroy them. There are plenty of blossoms, although we could always plant more. Another beekeeping friend recounted how he accidentally took too much honey one fall. The next time he opened the hive, the bees rushed out and attacked him. Clearly, they know that the beekeepers are helping themselves to the honey, but tolerate it up to a point. 
there must be a balance between what we take and what we give. Sound Pages is a Jack Straw production. The 2012 curator of this program is Sean Wong. This episode of Sound Pages was produced by Jenny Cecil Moore. Recording engineers are C.J. Lazenby, Tom Stiles, and Mo Preventure. Narrator is Alyssa Keene. And executive director of Jack Straw Productions is Joan Rabinowitz. Theme music by Rachel Matthews, produced through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. The Jack Straw Writers Program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Cultural Affairs, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, the Paul G. Allen Family Foundation, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology, available for purchase and featured online at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening.